Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From Studio A in Podcast Village, Upper Georgetown, Washington, D.C., this is the best political talk show you've never heard of. It's Backroom Politics with your host and moderator, Justin Russell. Yeah, that's the sound of me banging my head against the microphone. We just don't have enough time in a one-hour podcast to go over everything that has been going on this week. It is just mind-numbing. Uh, between the stuff, you know, between what has been going on, let's see. John Bolton resigned as national security advisor this week. Uh, love notes going back and forth between his old security advisor and the president. Uh, the, the aftermath of Dorian. Uh, and then we've, and then, and that's just, that was just earlier in the week. Now you've got the collapse of the Brexit program. You've got, uh, zero confidence in number 10 Downing Street, where uh, uh, Boris Johnson literally couldn't win an election or a vote in parliament if he tried offering them money. Uh, it is just a bizarre situation. There's so much to talk about. Now, let me start off by talking about this. And this is going to be a kind of a, a free-flowing show to, this week on this episode because there's literally so much to talk about I couldn't even try to compress it. So you're going to get a break from all of this all of this fire hose of politics at 30 minutes after and then we'll go back to talking and drinking from the fire hose of politics. Um but Dan let me really start with you. My fire hose is going to be filled with scotch. Uh it might as well <laughs> it, it numbs the pain. Hey, so Dan Lipner, let me ask you a question. If I had told you a week ago that the weekend before the 19th anniversary or the 18th anniversary of the attacks on New York and Washington on 9-11, that the president, the current seated president of the United States would invite the Taliban leadership and then as a second afterthought, the president of Afghanistan where said Taliban leadership live. And he was going to bring them to Camp David to strike the deal of the century. Literally 48 hours before 9-11, what would you have said to me if I told you that a week ago? That the Republicans are going to blame Barack Obama and his Muslim allies for for this event. Because right. obviously it must be him. Yeah. Yeah. Rich, if I told you that, what would you have said to me? Well, a week ago? Yeah. A week ago, I would have said that that's actually kind of realistic because um, it's actually what the. I mean, if you listen to what the president's been going, I mean, it's kind of it's, it's been it's been it's been outside of the shadows. It's been on page B seven and everything else, but this is essentially what's been happening. You've been reading about the administration. You've been reading about the Taliban, Afghanistan. I think the fact that I think you have. I think that there's. A, I think that what the administration does specifically is that they remove. They put in two different boxes: Al Qaeda and the Taliban. Now, this, now, Al-Qaeda was the ones who perpetrated 9-11. What the Taliban did, 
And this was a decision by one man, Mullah Muhammad Omar, who's now dead. His decision was he was the leader of the Taliban. He said he had, a, he had Osama bin Laden staying in his country and some of his coefficients, and he said after 9-11, he said we're going to keep him in there. That doesn't necessarily mean that the Taliban's main goal was the same as al-Qaeda, which was to, it, their goal wasn't attack caliphate per se. Their wait, goal wait, was more wait, domestic. wait. Rich, yes. Rich, Rich. Wait, I think we're burying the headline uh, here. We're burying the headline here. Number one, we're talking Going about- Going to Camp David for these peace talks I think that is, based on the way the Trump administration thinks, and I think the way that they would want some sort of a grand bargain- I think that that's how the that's how the administration would rationalize. But it. you're talking about look, okay. Granted, Al Qaeda and Osama bin Laden and his soldiers and his leadership came up with the attack on 9/11. Uh, but the Taliban were complicit in hiding and harboring and them. harboring not just Osama bin Laden, but pretty much his entire afterguard. And that being said, that wait, I thought it was Iraq. No, no. Oh, I, they, all right. Don't bring that up. Come uh, oh, on. Well, you know, why do you have to? But, why do you have to complicate? It? We're really? still but there. Be, <laughs> stop. <laughs> but be that as it may, the leadership of the Taliban is no longer Mullah Muhammad Omar, who had ultimately made that decision. It's now it's different. It's essentially different leadership, and I think that the Trump administration would say that their basic views are domestic. They want essentially Afghanistan to be the Salafi. Um, Islamic society, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they are in concert. I think in concert with Al Qaeda, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're not. But I think that they, I think that they, they see a difference. They see compartmentalization between the Taliban on one hand versus Al Qaeda versus. The, by that I mean the so, modern I mean, Taliban I, I, on one I, I, hand. No, I mean, I mean that, that, right. that, that is a worthy point. However, okay. how, however, let's also plug in some more pieces here. Wasn't two weeks ago that that uh, Trump said that we should just get out of there and leave it back to the Russians? Right. <laughs> right. And I, I, I'm, I'm sure the Afghanis really were fond they, yeah. of that idea. Well, this is also the president that wanted to congratulate Poland on the 80th anniversary of the beginning of World War II. He was not a history major. <laughs> yeah, you think? <laughs> but, but His big, beautiful brain? Yeah. But here's the thing. Richard Bino, let me go back to you on this. Yeah. Is... You know, when you sit there and you go, okay, there has to be somebody, somebody in the administration that would have the foresight to think of just the truly tasteless optics of bringing the Taliban and and the Afghani government to a peace deal table the week of 9-11. I, I mean, th- tell me in what dimension does that make sense for a president that says he wants to put America first? The T dimension. Well, that's completely tone deaf. The, 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 the gold-leafed T dimension. Yeah, it, it must be. Tone deaf is, not, I mean, tone deaf is putting it lightly, don't you think, well, Rich? Especially for, yes, especially for somebody like President Trump, who for everything is a political calculation, who's essentially willing to say almost anything in order to get, in order to increase his political standing. Um, it's, it's interesting that they were so tone deaf in that respect, other than the fact that, you know, President Trump um, somehow views that any, essentially any deal can be made, and he thinks that 
if he if he was, and I don't think he was, but if there was some sort of association and there was some sort of a trade-off, maybe he thought that there would be some sort of a peace deal and somehow, you know, this would be the grand bargain and somehow he would get a Nobel Peace Prize for being the great finisher, if you will, um, and then there, you, there would be some sort of a photograph with him making this deal, but... Um, I don't. I, I think it was completely tone deaf, and I don't see what the what the benefit of this is, other than you know you saw the way he did. He went backed away from it, by the way. Now he said essentially that the he said the Taliban. He said no deal now. He said they were essentially you know. I mean, just he's completely oh, he backed said, away no, from he it said now. No and now deal because a U.S. soldier was killed and Puerto Rico, yeah, and. Uh, the it, and along that ends, and this is now other reporting has, has said the Taliban negotiators are confused that <laughs> they're like, wait, one soldier dying in an active combat zone can derail peace negotiations. Exactly, where do peace negotiations come from? And by the way, what about all the yeah. Afghani fighters that have been killed in the process well, of all wait this? A I mean, on, on top of the fact, I mean. Look, I mean, the, the I mean, this is by no means Richard Nixon to Beijing by any stretch of the imagination. Am I accurate in saying that, Richard Bino? Oh, absolutely. So, with that being in mind, tell me what possible benefit. You know, I would think of <clears throat> if you were trying to do a peace deal. Afghanistan and the Taliban isn't probably on my top 10. There hasn't been stability in that region for hundreds and hundreds of years. It's not clear to me that Afghanistan is a true nation state. Um, they're they're recognized sovereign government. That's different from the internationally how nation states are actually defined as far as common cultures and language and peoples and whatnot. So the idea that the Taliban... I, I have trouble believing that they have a rigid command and control apparatus uh, throughout the entire country, that they know the entirety of all uh, of uh, their Taliban fighters' movements. Uh, I'm just going to go out on a limb there saying that that, uh, that that they might not have that same kind of uh, control that uh, we have over our armed forces. So the yeah afghanistan is afghanistan and the people that i know that have spent time there said these are very fiercely independent people regardless of what side that they, they, they're on and the rest of the world has decided to trounce through their backyard and consistently they've been like yeah get off my get out get off my lawn yep. and they want to be left alone so yeah, should there be a peace deal? And should we get out of there? Uh-huh. Uh huh. Should we hopefully leave behind something with something resembling some basic human rights uh, support for for women and, and other religious minorities? Uh huh. Should we do it on the president's weird PR whims? No. <laughs> but but again. Well- Go ahead, Rich Rubino. Go ahead. I was going to say that's why I think it's the graveyard of empires in Afghanistan. Everyone goes in there, you know, thinking they can win, and eventually they lose. Go back to 2001. The resolution that the resolution giving President Bush the authorization to go into Afghanistan. There was one member of the United States Congress and the House of Representatives who voted against it, Barbara Lee from California, and she had to have security because there were so many death threats. Now you look at it in 2019, the longest war in American history. You're almost at the point where. You have young people who were not even alive for 9/11 who could be who could potentially be deployed over there. Um, it's just it's just become such a back page issue. 
And as, as I say, I think that, you know, the biggest mistake that, you know, I think the Taliban would potentially still, be in, still have been in power in Afghanistan today if they had not listened to that one decision. The one decision was to essentially give safe haven to Osama bin Laden and his coefficients. If they had not done that, they would still be in power today. And, you know, the world would have been the world would have been a lot. The world would have been a lot different. But in terms of Afghanistan, I will say this. This is the wrong place to have it. But you do need to negotiate with the Taliban if you're going to make an agreement there. It's it's just a it's just a reality. They're a truculent dictatorship, but it's just a reality in real politics that you have to deal with. That you, that you have to that you have to deal with them in order to make some sort of a peace agreement. Yeah, but 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 here's my question to to both of you: Is do you do it by bringing them to Camp David onto American onto American no. soil? I mean, because does does Donald Trump truly think that this is uh uh uh? Israel, Egypt, is this, I mean, did, did, did Donald Trump in his mind think that this would equate to something similar, like the handshake between um, Sadat Sadat, Anwar Sadat and Menachem Begin? So if going back in history a little bit, um, there was negotiations between um, the, I, I believe it was the, uh, the, the Clinton administration and the uh, Taliban leadership of Af- Af- Afghanistan, and that leadership w- consisted of a dude. Um, th- you had all the U.S. dignitaries and a dude for, uh, representing the the Afghani government for a it was like a trade mining deal. Right. You could not have gotten a more different balance of power and people uh the the, the guy who came in tr- tr- traditional afghani garb you know held his own but that said he was a dude representing the afghani <laughs> government right and the awkwardness of that situation i i can't believe that the 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 the, the taliban being out of power for 18 years now uh, has somehow improved. So yeah, you have to negotiate with them, and you have to have a realistic negotiation approach to them of whatever power sharing or whatever. We don't even know what the negotiation consisted of, other than what deal is he trying the to US make? Is getting out? What deal is he trying to make? I mean, for all we know, it was the don't blow yourselves up. No, it could have been. It could have been another handshake. You know, Donald Trump was going to walk across. Because uh, that's Ka- worked Kabul so well, and, and give a handshake and look victory, and we're going. Because that's worked so well with North Korea. Oh yeah, according to Trump, it is. I think Trump just wants. In the case of Afghanistan, Trump just wants this essentially off his table. He doesn't want this to be something to focus on. He wants. He made a promise in 2016. Part of it was. Part of his promise was. He made it that the, that the U.S. would essentially get out of the get out of the, the Middle East. That these wars would be over in Afghanistan and all these other places. It hasn't happened. Necess- it hasn't happened. He just wants it to kind of get off the plate so that he can focus on what he really wants to focus on, which is issues like immigration and the economy. So, wait a minute, Rich Rubino, at, what what I'm hearing from you is that Donald Trump believes that uh, keeping a campaign promise outweighs national. Security? Uh, wait, wait, let's... Wait, Donald Trump keeping a campaign promise, let's... No, 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 no. Rich is right. This was a campaign promise. Yeah, he, he said he was going to pull out of Afghanistan. There, there were lots this of campaign is, promises. No, but this, this is, is one that he wants to keep. 
Yeah, this is what differentiated himself with traditional Republicans. Traditional Republicans, at least contemporary Republicans, going back to the Bush administration, were seen as hawkish. Um, everyone who didn't want to go in Iraq, for example, was seen as, appeas- as appeasers. You go back to folks like Tom DeLay, Denny Haster, George W. Bush, um, Dick Cheney. This is a complete, he completely changed the, the, the Republican Party more to the level of essentially where Robert Taft had it back before 1952, which was a non-interventionist policy, non-interventionist foreign policy, where all the focus is, is on domestic, where you keep the money. He even said this. He said, we can keep all this money, the $4 trillion we're spending over in Iraq and Afghanistan. We can keep all this money. We can spend it on infrastructure at home. And that's something that appeals to a broad cross-section of constituencies, including more moderate voters and, you know, some, some folks in Wisconsin and Michigan. And, yes, I do think that he sees everything from a campaign prism. I don't necessarily – I think policy prism is kind of – is secondary to that. Yeah, I think even a campaign prism overstates it. It's 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 a it's a chintzy PR prism. Um, okay. He emails will have the 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 windsock guy blowing in the wind to just try and get attention. <laughs> uh, because no, because I mean the 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 PR stunts are are also negligible. So the only folks, I mean, no, wait, from, are, 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 you, are you are you saying that this administration? uses foreign policy for PR stunts or are pulling PR stunts in lieu of foreign policy? Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's shocking. Well, go go further with that, Dan. I, I mean, the fact of the matter is repeatedly throughout the, the, the Trump presidency, the, the, the desperately looking for a there there on any of his foreign policy approaches on anything find me a success his his nafta new deal thing okay great he beat up he beat up uh, canadian farmers and got a slightly better deal uh for nafta all right still hasn't been ratified yet uh it's still sitting there floating through congress and near second figure it's still uh the, the administration with the, they're acting everything else um, is still not necessarily doing the work they need to do to get the new NAFTA ratified. Um, that pesky little deal there. Right. Uh, the standoff with China for all the rabble rousing and 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 trying to beat up China. Oh yeah. Uh, in an off the cuff remark, the president said, "Oh yeah, maybe this went too far." Lo and behold, that got reported, <laughs> and then it was like, no, 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 I mean, it didn't go far enough, didn't yeah. go far enough. That's what I meant. You didn't really hear that right. Okay. Um, Iraq, Afghanistan, North Korea, Russia, uh, take your pick. Where is the success? Yeah. Um, the Even the things where you had a moment of success, he starts giving away the store, the uh, – well, uh, what, what about the reporting that's come out this week regarding – our biggest and best intelligence asset in Russia had to have an emergency. Oh, we're getting the, I'm getting the signal five minutes from from uh, Rob the engineer. Literally, we had to pull and evacuate our best asset inside the Kremlin out because he was compromised. So this is where I am actually going to link this with Bolton and my own conspiracy theory here. You mean the resignation earlier this week of John Bolton and the Russian as, asset that we had in Moscow? As you, as you might recall, during one of uh, Trump's one-on-one conversations with Putin, uh, 
Putin suggested, yes, you know, we should absolutely do this, and you should, and we have some criminals in in your own government that you should send over, and we should interrogate them. And Trump said, oh, we might want to do that. So, what do you think Donald Trump's loyalty to a dude who is Russian, who cheated on his good buddy Vladimir Putin, is going to be? I think it's entirely plausible that Donald Trump could have been like, oh, well, my buddy Putin wants him back, so we're going to send him back now. Yeah, well, I mean, Rich Rubino, I mean, Dan Lipner's as crazy batshit nuts as that sounds— uh, I also didn't think that uh, the president would bring the Taliban and the Afghani government over the week of the 9/11. President considered sending U.S. officials to Russia to be interrogated. No, no, I got that. I got that. But again, uh, Rich Rubino, when it comes to this, the the Afghani question, uh, does the, does the president think? That his base, who are largely patriotic, does he bank on the fact that they're going to back him on this decision and then he canceled it because they 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 had a car bombing? Are they patriotic? That's yeah, no, I just, I, I, well, I, just, I just think that was tone deafness in terms of I really don't think they made the calculation. If they had made the calculation, I think they would not have done that. Um, I think that's why he's that's why he's kind of he's that's why he essentially did a complete 360 on it. And now he's saying, you know, this could potentially hurt me with my base. But, but there's a certain faction of the base. But for the most part, I mean, it's amazing how little news there is about Afghanistan, how little news there is about the Taliban in really the last 10 years or so. Ever since the Bush administration essentially left office, it's become, well, I mean, go, well, here's an, go back in 2008, Barack Obama was saying he wants to send three more brigades to Afghanistan. He said that was where the real war was. He did that. Um, and then it became kind of it became kind of a stalemate for a long period of time. People don't focus on it anymore. He just I think he just wants it off the table. Absolutely insane. Cannot make this stuff up. Uh, that being the case, all right. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we've got more political goodness. President for life. No, oh God, just stop, <laughs> just stop. Yeah, this is backroom politics. We'll be back in two minutes. Stay with us.
from Studio A in Podcast Village, Upper Georgetown, Washington, D.C. This is the best political talk show you've never heard of. It's Backroom Politics with your host and moderator, Justin Russell. And we're back. And let's talk a little bit about 2020 presidential election politics. And by 2020 presidential election politics, since it's the middle of 2019, we're going to talk Democrats. Uh, in case you don't know it, this uh, week, uh, we, we record this on Tuesday. Uh, what day is it on, Dan Lipner? The next debate? I think it's Thursday. Uh, check check my math on that one. On the day that Thursday, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thursday. Usually, I would usually I would have Eric the producer be talking in my ear, but Eric yeah, the Eric's producer, off. Eric, yeah, Eric the producer <laughs> is doing producer stuff at other venues, which we'll have a discussion with it later. But anyway, <laughs> that sounds ominous. It does sound ominous. Now he's with his mom and dad, who were anyway. Uh, so Thursday is going to be the next presidential uh, debate, but. We're starting to see uh, a lot of things happening here. First of all, Rich Rubino, you were at Demapalooza uh, <laughs> yes. for this month up in New Hampshire. Uh, tell me again, this was the Democratic Fish Fry, correct, in Portsmouth? Uh, yes, it was the state convention. The state convention, which is basically a fish fry in Portsmouth. Basically, yes, every presidential <laughs> candidate, major presidential candidate, barring Wayne Mason. Um, was there okay? What 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 were some of the highlights from that? Well, the, so basically, just the structure of here is essentially each candidate will speak. Then a New Hampshire local official will speak. So you hear Bernie Sanders, then you hear some state representative from New Hampshire. So it was really an interesting dynamic. And there are folks outside with all the you know with with signs for each candidate. And then when they go in there, each candidate gets out ten minutes to speak. And it's kind of a special interest type of a thing. So folks will go in there. And the only, only Elizabeth Warren's people will be there just for Elizabeth Warren, for example. And she, by far, probably three times to one, had the biggest crowd in there. Um, a lot of them were young people. A lot of them looked like they were about 18, 19 years old. When she got up there, it was like a rock star. Um, they gave her about a two-minute ovation. None of the other candidates got really more than a 30-second ovation. But, of course, these were all her people. And what I thought was fascinating with both her and Bernie Sanders is that since both of those, a lot of people in the Democratic Party are incredulous that they're not, that they can't win, that they're too liberal, they basically counter-offended that, and their message was, we're electable, and we can win. Elizabeth Warren's people, every time she would say something, they would yell, win with Warren, win with Warren, win with Warren. Are we seeing... Bernie Sanders Sanders signs all said, Bernie beats Trump. Bernie beats Trump. So, Rich, are, are... Are we seeing anything coming out of the Biden campaign, who's largely looked at as the front runner? How did he do up there? Uh, he did relatively well. He did. He he had he had a, he had a few issues. One of them, he kept coughing, and the other issue is he called he referred to President Trump as President Hump. And then, <laughs> <laughs> is that true? And then it appeared. Is that so, true? Yeah, and then he for, he went on for like ten <laughs> seconds after that, and people were laughing in the audience, and everyone thought he didn't catch it. Then all of a sudden, he looks and he says, "Freudian slip." <laughs> and that see, was, I, I think, the highlight. That's the thing people most remember from Joe Biden's speech. But beyond that, though, he's still, for all of his gaffes and for the fact that I know the media puts a lot of attention on his gaffes, at 76 years old, he's still a relatively good speaker. Um, he still galvanizes the crowd. There are folks there with Elizabeth Warren shirts on that were cheering everything he said. 
Um, he's basically he's moved pretty far to the left, and where the Joe, the Joe Biden of 1988 who ran for president is not recognizable to this Joe Biden. This Joe Biden runs as essentially an unreconstructed liberal. He's doing he keeps moving further and left, further to the left. And it, as I say, there was nothing in there that he said that was at all recreant to to democratic orthodoxy. He's trying to get to the he's trying to get to where Bernie and Elizabeth was. But you know what I found interesting though, out of all the people who spoke. The one who the one who is most spellbinding to that crowd, and that includes people who didn't don't support him, because he had very few people there that were actually supporters of him. But he that was by far Cory Booker. No, oh, no really? Yeah. He was speaking when he was speaking, and he was talking about President Trump, and now saying being President Trump is simply the is simply the floor we need to reach to the ceiling. It reminded me of Barack Obama's speech. I mean, about Michelle Obama's speech to the 2016 Democratic Convention. I mean, it was just absolutely spellbinding. You can see the reaction to everybody. Everyone was applauding. He had, he really has a way to mesmerize that audience. You don't right. see it in debates. He's not that great in a debate it, forum. He's not that great in town hall forums. Right. When he has the when he has the podium all to himself for ten to fifteen minutes, he is really good, and he's better than anybody else there. So, Dan Lipner, let me ask you this question: Are we starting to see a dynamic shift in the leadership? Are we starting to see the top? Four, let's say, starting to come together, and we'll start cutting away some of the other uh, deadwood. Yes, is is <laughs> are are we starting to see a shift in who might be the number one pick? Uh, I saw some recent polls that have Elizabeth Warren giving Joe Biden a run for his money, or is Joe Biden yep. still the one to beat? Well, Joe Biden's still the one to beat, but the question is, once people start disappearing, uh, where the, their votes go. So, um, was Joe Biden was Joe Biden a, a false sense of security in the fact that there were twenty people in the race and that they're now all going to come to somebody like an Elizabeth Warren or a Bernie Sanders or a Pete Buttigieg or a Cory Booker or a Kamala Harris? No, well, Cory Booker and Kamala Harris are they're they're they're. I don't see them coming back from the abyss. Um, the they, they've both had their 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 moments, and unless some some other moment where lightning strikes, I think Kamala Harris is going to have to spend the next four years uh, realizing that as big a state as California is, uh, it's still not the same thing as running for president and, of the United States. And she'll probably be a very good attorney general. That's <laughs> Potentially. Yeah, that's probably. Oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead, Rich. No, I'm sorry to interrupt. I just saying that. I will say this though: if you go back in history, go back to 1976. Jimmy Carter was not the front runner. He got the nom- 1975 at this time. He got the he got the nomination. Bill Clinton didn't even announce his candidacy till October 3rd, 1992. At this time, Barack Obama was losing to Hillary Clinton among African American voters. Right. So what I'm saying here is that. We, everyone say, thinks it's going to be a race. Seth Moulton, when he dropped out, said it's right now a three-man race between Warren, Sanders, and um, and Biden. But I think there will be at least one candidate from the back of the, or middle of the pack that's going to emerge and become a major contender. I mean, in 2003, John Edwards was about, about 3 or 4%. He eventually he, he rose up in the last two weeks and finished second place in Iowa. And my guess is it's going to be either Cory Booker or Pete Buttigieg is going to be this last minute. There's going to be a last minute shift to some voters, some undecideds, and somebody is just going to really galvanize a lot of people. So I wouldn't necessarily say 
Yeah, as a media, I know they like to say that there's a three-person race, but there will be somebody, I can almost assurely, I'm sure it's going, going to Marianne Williamson that, who's going to use the power of love to power her oh, campaign. Oh, Marianne Williamson, yeah. She'll get from 1% to 2%, did, maybe. Did, did Marianne Williamson, you, you saw her, did, did Marianne Williamson change anybody's mind through the power of love? <laughs> no. Um, I think she had, she, her and Tulsi Gabbard, I probably had them have very vociferous supporters, but they're about you know one or two percent. But they're folks that I don't know who they would. I don't know if they would who they would go with if they, either of them dropped out. In Kelsey Gabbard's case, I would guess you could assume that it would be Bernie Sanders. In Marion Williams' case, these are probably people who are there for Marion Williamson. They're probably people who are brought into the political process by Marion Williamson. They were probably the, they could even have been the folks who voted for Ralph Nader in 2000. They could even be you know Green Party types. But she's basically mainstreamed them into the Democratic Party. But, you know, these are the types of people like the Ron Paul people in 2008 and 2012 who would, you know, be in front are of cars, that be on highways. Are they that, that? Ra- are they that rabid? Yeah, well, at least, at least the Paul people believe something that has some basis in reality. What, what are you saying? You don't believe in the power of prayer? <laughs> these are, well, she, 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 she's into the political. She brought, she brought issues to the political, to the political process. And she brought a campaign to the political process for, I think, people who are probably disaffected or just in, uninterested in politics in general. So where, they, where will they go if she were to leave? Um, these might be the folks that potentially could go to a Green okay. Party nominee I mean, or something. Andrew like. Yang has been floating around and, and the – while while I well I, 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 I don't really ha- have a strong position on him he, he's far more credible than Williamson and from people that I know say he when you actually start listening to me he's pretty engaging does, yep. does somebody like a Steyer still have any possibility of gaining any traction at this point you know I'll say something about Steyer so I sat next to him at breakfast. And he was there with two of his aides, and I was right next. I was right next to him. He couldn't. Did you ask him for money? He's yeah, got the, the, a ton the, of it. I, I, I hope he paid. I hope. Yeah, I you hope you didn't pick up the tab. You couldn't. Li- you couldn't help but listen to the conversation. And so he's there, probably about a half hour, and there were two aides with him. And the two aides basically gave him the speech, and he was looking at the speech the whole time. He said maybe one word the whole time. It was really fascinating. And they kept saying, "In your speech, you need to give antidotes. You need to give antidotes. People want to hear antidotes." He eventually did give antidotes in the speech, but just his way, he was so laser-focused on reading that speech. He's got no cards right there. Um, he didn't say, as I say, he said maybe one word to his advisors the entire time. Then once he finished, he just got out by himself and just left. I mean, he is tailor-focused on this, and I said, wow. Um, you know, he, it, was really, it was fascinating that he would allow he's basically himself the, to have that he's conversation basically, in public. He's basically the was, flat Stanley of politics. Well, also, a Starbucks guy is out of it. He, he dropped out. Howard yeah, he, Schultz, yeah. Yeah, Howard Schultz is out. Uh, small favors. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. So anyway, the, so the, the, we're starting to see this come together a little bit. Does uh, does Elizabeth Warren? You know, everybody knows. Everybody loves Uncle Joe. I mean, if it were up to many independents and people like me, I'd make Joe Biden vice president for life. Just just till he dies. Let him die up there at the observatory. I think he's a great vice president. Uh, but. With a lot of the topsy turvy polling that we're seeing, you mean topsy turvy? It's been pretty stable. Well, we're no. This week we're starting to see some fluctuations. We're starting to see the only one who's really climbing and not just holding on and is sustaining Warren. is Elizabeth Warren, which she's been but, doing consistently. But the question I have is: Does Elizabeth Warren's poll numbers growth are they in fact sustainable? 
throughout well, so, and leading so, into a so, general election. So let, let's step back for a second here and realize that even primary voters are more like normal human beings than any of us. Right. So... <laughs> I'll, You're saying primary voters, even primary voters, are, are, are more like individual. Those are some really weird people but, sometimes. But, true, <laughs> but they're still more normal than us. If, if, uh, so they normal people are these not are people like Rich Rubino in New Hampshire. <laughs> no, no, Rich is still a minority in, in that. They're they're, okay. they're 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 primary voters and those folks. It's the 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 activists. the the activists still wanting to get to know and getting a feel for the candidates. And getting a chance to hear them for the first time. I've heard Elizabeth Warren in person, and she is engaging. She's the real deal. Um, I've heard, uh, I've I've followed Buttigieg because I was surprised as everyone else, and I hadn't heard anyone as engaging and being able to pivot on substance like that since Bill Clinton. Uh, You're saying Pete Buttigieg. Pete Buttigieg. Oh, really? Um, the Joe Biden. A, a a level of charisma um, that the everyone loves Uncle Joe is partially because he's a fundamentally decent guy, and people who get a chance to meet him. Now for full disclosure, you worked with him. For I, I did years. work with him, and yeah. and so I saw this up close. And he a fundamentally decent human being, and it comes across, and people know it, which is part of the reason why um, when he left the vice presidency, he got the love note from from his all of his colleagues in the Senate to for for the cancer research, right? Um, which was a gift to but, Joe Biden but here's the from thing, his though, colleagues. But, but here's the thing, though, Dan Lipner, the we started to see a lot of unions starting to sway towards Joe. I mean, Joe has been. A labor, <clears throat> excuse me, particularly the trade unions have started picking up on them. You look at the firefighters, for example, who aren't necessarily trade unions, but the firefighters are all in on Joe. Like, Biden. are they selling fire? Uh. No. <laughs> but they mean, they're not made if they're taking it away. Um, but you, you look at the firefighters, for example, all in on Joe Biden. Uh, I would venture to say we're going to see more of that. It, it, are, are we still. How do I put this? Are we still overanalyzing this early in the game, and should we wait the, until maybe June to talk the, about there, this? There is, it's not a matter of overanalyzing. It's putting too much weight on the analysis. It, it is still a game that's in flux. So, I mean, each of Joe Biden's gaffes— And this goes back to Rich's point. Uh, that, yes. that he's had. Yeah. Um, and being, I'm glad uh, you agree with me, Joe. Uh, Rich. <laughs> be, being that— uh, that I did work with him, so I, I take myself out of the category of a normal human being. Right. And so the the gaffes, I, I pause and go, uh-oh, I, I, how are normal people going to register this? And so the Kamala Harris punch way back from the first debate um, about the busing issue. Yeah, Biden took a hit for A, not being prepared for it, and B, kind of, kind of waffling on his answer – and three weeks later, his numbers were back, and Kamala Harris was sort of falling because, lo and behold, she was unprepared for the fact that national press was going to ask a follow-up question go, hey, what's your position on busing? And, <laughs> and she was completely unprepared for that, and lo and behold, some of her bases of support started falling back. And now she drew some some fire as well, her own positions uh, as a—, a as a as a California attorney or mm -hmm. a, an attorney general, 
some of those uh, imp- imprisoning folks, um, yeah, the Democratic Party has moved on that. And thankfully, a lot of the uh, nationally, even beyond politics, people have begun to move that mass incarceration is certainly not the greatest thing in the world. So, and she has not been prepared for a quality answer for why her shift has occurred other than putting her finger right. to the wind. Well, but you know, you know what the this, bottom line here? This, okay. is, this is why you have these events in the Democratic Party. You have caucuses and primaries right. and you have debates. <laughs> Which and note the Democratic a, Party is right, having those things right. for a contested for a contested seat. The so, Democratic Party is all about the ideas of democracy. Okay, okay. <laughs> so, so for the for our listeners out there, in case you don't know, Dan is making a point. What he's trying to do, very, very uh, ham-handedly, is also talk about the fact that over the past couple of weeks, we've seen four states: South Carolina, Nevada. Arizona and Kansas uh, oh, yeah. finalized plans to cancel uh, their their primaries because now there are three primary challengers in the GOP ticket. Uh, Rich Rubino, has this happened before? That they've really that they've literally taken out prime? No, I don't think so at all. Specifically, you know, basically the general rule is that there's it's a primary, the party is supposed to remain neutral in that primary. Um, in 1980, for example, you had Jimmy Carter against Ted Kennedy, and that, that year the Democratic National Committee did not necessarily support President Jimmy Carter. Um, I think that it's interesting that they did this specifically in South Carolina, right around the time, coincidentally, that Mark Sanford, who happens to, be, to have been a former governor of the state, um, entered the presidential race. Uh, it's really it's, it's fascinating how, you know, it's, it's also fascinating, though, that there are, so there are three people. Donald Trump calls them the three stooges. There's Joe Walsh, who was literally a one-term party, uh, Tea Party congressperson, probably trying to keep himself relevant in the national uh, in the national purview. Then you have Bill Weld, who's been running for quite a while now, a former Massachusetts governor, hasn't really gotten much traction. And you have Mark Sanford, um, the former governor of South, Car- South Carolina. And there's some speculation that Kelly Fiorina is going to enter the race, um, but I don't necessarily think that's going to happen. But it's interesting that they would. I mean, when Donald Trump's at literally 88% approval in the Republican Party, why wouldn't it be better for if the Republican Party really, if Trump really had no fear, just go through the process um, like Nixon did, for example, in 72. I mean, Nixon had two candidates running against him. He had John Smith running on the right, and then he had uh, Pete McCloskey running on the left. They got virtually no traction, and eventually they both dropped out. Um, now, what, what this, I mean, it's just bad public relations that they're doing this because it shows that Trump, there's somewhere, there's some fear that he's potentially at these that these folks are potentially a threat to them, but certainly no poll is showing that. Right, Dan. Dan, let me. Do you agree with Rich that, that by holding these primaries with primary challengers, uh, this could expose some vulnerabilities in the Trump campaign? I don't even need, need to go that far. It shows some vulnerabilities in the Republican Party that they're not doing this. The, Why? The, it's supposed to be a democratic action, whether or not it's showing up for a caucus or showing up to it's vote. It's a Republican Party. True, but the Republican Party is supposed to be democratic actors in the in the Republican Party. You used to be a Republican Party official. Uh, I'm still a Republican. Let me just be clear about that. Last I saw, people got to vote for stuff. You don't just go, yeah, no, <laughs> we, we we know what the decision is. This, this, this guy's in charge. We're going to put our delegates over right here because he's president. Uh, but at, at, at the same I mean, this time, this is a real question. <laughs> no, it is a real question. But at the same time, you know, if you listen to the, you know, to the justification of one President Donald J. Trump, 
you know, primaries are expensive and cost a lot of money. It takes a long time. And that's, that's completely what it's about for him, too, I bet. It's fiscal conservatism. It, wait, 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 wait. Say that again. Richard Rubino, I want you to say what you just said again. I was being I was being facetious, but I said I'm sure that it's all fiscal conservatism for Donald Trump. He doesn't want the taxpayers okay. to have to spend money on a primary. Yeah, because God uh, God uh, forbid he would show financial conservatism <laughs> and like I don't know I debt it, spending. I think it depends on the state because I don't think the taxpayers in some states don't the parties have to foot the bill. No, they the don't. Par- yeah, yeah, the party. No, I was, the I was, party that's puts the general. I was just that's what I mean. About that, but. No, no, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. but like the reason I, I say that is because there are some people like, oh yeah, taxpayer money. No, 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 no. no, no this no. is the party. The infrastructure, the part, yeah. for the most part, the that pays clubs, for the stuff. Right. right. The primaries are run and reimbursed in, in, the, in the, the, the county supervisor elections or the supervisor of election authority that runs the elections in these four states. Which, again, I'm going to put a call out to any of the Republicans who listen in or the Trump supporters who listen in. Please explain to me how this lack of democracy in the Republican Party helps promote democracy. Helps helps <laughs> suggest that you're in the game for actual democratic action. Again, well, please I, feel yeah. free to email or call in. I would love to hear some reasonable explanation. That, that, is, that is a good. That is a good question. That is a very good question. Is I would love to hear unless somebody... you think the three million illegal immigrants that voted for Hillary Clinton that gave her the popular vote are going to vote in the Republican primary for Donald you know, Trump. By the way, you know, no, no, against Donald Trump. That's the that's the fear. That's it. Oh, that must be it. Oh. The Democratic Party has been registering all the illegal all immigrants up. to, to vote that. in the Republican primary to oust Donald Trump. That's obviously the way it is going to work. So the three million that voted for Hillary are now going to vote for like a Bill Weld. We're going to bust them from state to state. Those same no, three all million. People. Oh, they're wait. all Joe Walsh people, I'm sure. It, they're all Joe Walsh people. Um, no, it's in, not the one from the Eagles, the one that was a one-term congressman. <laughs> yeah, um, we yeah. got that. Thank you. Th- wow, look at Rich Rubino getting his comedy hat on. That was Showing little... my pop culture yeah, here, yeah. Yeah, 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 you shouldn't do that, Rich. Anyway, we'll the, <laughs> the, the, reality is, the reality is, look, uh, we have a situation here with uh, primaries going on in the Democrats, four states that are calling the primaries that are questionable, are we at a precipice now of seeing a dynamic change in the the focus of where the where the twenty twenty race may come to a head? I, I mean, are we going to start seeing front runners become front runners and Trump being Trump? No, I um, I think obviously Trump's going to still be the front runner, and certainly Mark Sanford's not going to catch up to him. But on the Democratic side. I think you're going to see it fluctuate. You're going to see it continue to fluctuate. Um, I think Trump's. I mean, you know, one thing Joe Biden does have is in terms of the unions. Um, you know, Walter Mondale back in 1984, he had they they worked to his advantage. There were a lot of folks, younger people, who were for Gary Hart, but but Walter Mondale had that advantage. Joe Biden has that advantage with the folks like the firefighters and some of the unions who are going to organize. But I really I don't think that the election is no anywhere near decided right now. I think that there will be one or two candidates that's going to emerge in the last two weeks. I'm, right now, I'm going to say it's Booker or Buttigieg is going to be, are going to be in that top tier, and my guess is one of the candidates will probably will probably falter. You know, the big the big issue a lot of people ask is, what if Bernie Sanders were to drop out? Where would his supporters go, and would they all go to Elizabeth Warren? My guess is the preponderance would go to Elizabeth Warren, but there's also an anti-war. No, the, 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 the current the current numbers suggest the current numbers suggest 
uh, the number two pick, and obviously once you start going down right. the line is, is iffier, uh, but the number two pick for Bernie voters are principally um, Biden. What about what about the potential of the anti-war people going to Tulsi Gabbard? Um, I no. Th- I, I, Dan Lipner has a better chance of Kim. Pulling that out. No, but I'm no, 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 amongst no, those supporters. The, 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 that, that is plausible. The problem is Tulsi Gabbard's got some other baggage on uh, – she has some other challenging uh, um, yep. uh, issue positions uh, that right now, since she's so far back, um, aren't getting highlighted. Once the light shines on them, it's hard for me to see that the, that that uh, she anything sticks around for a while. So she might get a, a temporary boost, but when, she's not going to be able to stand the spotlight. Now, of course, it's all, of course the speculation is always Bernie Sanders dropping on endorsing Elizabeth Warren. But what if it's the? Well, I mean, why would Bernie Sanders have to drop? But what if the opposite happened? What if Elizabeth well, Warren? Th- th- that brings up a good. That brings Bernie up Bernie Sanders questions. drops out, and Larry David hops in in his place. No, but <laughs> this brings up a good question, Dan. Is very good. Is point. Bernie Sanders still, you know, a life sucker out of? Somebody who could be gaining a lot of attention and starting to solidify their role as the nominee. I mean, the question is, who's further left than Bernie? Um, uh, uh, Williamson. Uh, I don't. No, think, I don't think uh, she's left. I, 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 I don't uh, think she's left at all. She's so left. He's I, I, right. I, I, no, I, 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 I think she's left. She's left orbit. Um, <laughs> all right. Be nice. Be nice. No, I'm. I'm comfortable with that. Okay. Um, so. It's not quite clear where his his folks go to, and I'm not certain that that it's so much that uh, Bernie is left that Bernie is offering solutions for people who are desperate. So th- there was the the Bernie f- folks that were also Trump folks, and something that is wildly crazy to most people in the Beltway. But once you start uh, scratching the surface and paying attention to what people's issues were and how they voted and and where the desperation of those voters were. Uh, both Trump and Bernie were talking to the same people, the working class folks who are, are feeling screwed by the system, by by their bosses, by trade and things that are just so much bigger than them, uh, having wildly different solutions for the problems that they've identified. Um, that said, it's no longer it, it seems clear to me that Trump is no longer the alternative for the Bernie or bust folks um, unless the Russians have some other whiz bang plan to 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 corrupt those folks i think they're going to go principally to biden maybe at, at a at a uh, two to one split between biden and warren which by the way still keeps warren very much in the game um and if the women's vote breaks even more solidly for warren then we got a ball game that's going to go in it go uh, into the convention between uh, Biden and Warren, um, which which is going which would be an interesting fight, uh, since and Warren, unlike uh, Kamala Harris, has not only withstood the spotlight. The more the spotlight has shown on her, the more people have gone, "Hey, I like her." Um, that the she's got a plan for it, and when people look at her plans, they go, "Hey, that makes sense." Uh, so the attempt to paint Elizabeth Warren as the socialist when she says outright, listen, I was a Republican. I was I'm a capitalist. I want the free market to work. And at the moment, the, the cards are stacked against normal people. I want government to make sure the system is working so people and she can go into her narrative about her her mom going to Sears, getting a job to pay the mortgage and her 
her uh, going to community college to become a teacher and eventually going to law school, that is kind of the American dream for people just working hard and working their way up to make sure they can pay their bills and do what they need to do. She is she literally lives and has lived the the American struggle that most decent Americans see right. themselves as. Rich, you agree? Yeah, and I'll just say one more thing. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And the other thing that she does when she talks about her personal story is she inoculates herself from the belief that I think a lot of people think she was born at Harvard. They see Elizabeth Warren, they think Cambridge, they think Harvard. In her entire speech, she never mentions the word Massachusetts. It's always Oklahoma. It's always an Okie. You know, when people in Oklahoma start cheering, she says, yeah, and that's where she wants to be from in those speeches. She talks about growing up in Oklahoma. She talks about how all her brothers went into the military. One of them was a career military. Her story is a lot different than I think Trump wants to portray it, and a lot of folks on the right that view her as just this kind of Harvard elitist professor. If she can she got her law her degree from story, Rutgers. It's a lot different. What's yeah. that? She got her law degree from Rutgers. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. oh, absolutely. It's so well, much different than people think, than people think her narrative is. It's like in 92 – um, and Bill Clinton at the convention, a lot of people thought, actually thought that Bill Clinton had come from wealth. And there were polls that showed that they, that they believed that. So Bill Clinton in that speech, they had the, you know, the man from hope. He talked about his personal story. He talked about the struggles growing up with a single mother. And people are actually impressed because he wasn't the traditional elitist Democrat that I think Republicans would want to have portrayed him as being. Right. Well, I'm going to let that be the last word. Hey, um, before we go real quick, uh, I want to take a couple of minutes. Uh, this week... Uh, marks the uh, 18th anniversary of the attacks on 9-11 at the World Trade Center at the U.S. Pentagon in a field in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. Uh, it is, we're getting to that point now where we now have people in the U.S. military that were born after that horrific day in September. Um, it, it's something that hits home for a lot of people. Uh, with family coming from New York, with family uh, uh, having connections to even those that lost their lives on that tragic day, it's a, it's, it's a somber day, it's a solemn day, but I bring this up because I don't want us to forget the people that lost their lives at 8.46 a.m. when the North Tower was hit. I don't want people forgetting uh, the people that lost their lives at 9.03 a.m. when the South Tower was hit. Uh, I don't want anybody to forget those brave people who went down to the World Trade Center when they heard the call for the mass casualty event and they all answered that box. I don't want us to forget the brave members of FDNY, the Fire Department of New York, NYPD, and the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey. I don't want anybody forgetting the bravery that was shown on board United Flight 77 as it as, as, as people were talking and realizing it was going into the Pentagon. Uh, I don't want people to forget 
the bravery of those on United 93 who took a stand against the hijackers after hearing what had happened. And at the sacrifice of their own lives, protecting possibly tens of thousands more. Uh, We have a short attention span sometimes in this country. And when it comes to this, we haven't seen the country come together as a nation, putting aside political differences, putting aside everything since that day, since that time. And something we could take a lesson from today. We don't need a 9-11 to bring us all together. What we need is all of us to come together so we don't have another 9-11. But we should always, always remember those who made the ultimate sacrifice that day. On behalf of Dan Lipner, on the behalf of Rich Rubino, uh, Rob the Engineer, and as always, uh, Eric, our producer, uh, Charlie Burney, for being just a gracious host here at Podcast Village. Uh, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.